This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Josh Levs is a former journalist at CNN and NPR, and he was called the truth seeker in chief. He was a fact checker. He was a very widely regarded fact checker. And then his life changed when he had his first child. And he had an extremely interesting adventure attempting to take paternity leave to take care of his wife and child and family. And that changed his life. Because of that experience, Josh has written a book called All In. And he has become the top global expert on modern dads at work. This conversation with Josh was sort of the analytical, research-oriented background that I have been looking for maybe for a long time. He has taken apart and dissected and looked at all of the, the myths and cultural narratives about fatherhood and dads and found the truth, taken the time to look deeply into it. And through this process, he has an incredible body of work that he now shares as a speaker, as a consultant, and as an author. One of the things that I want to point you to right away, so Josh, Josh's website is joshlevs.com, J-O-S-H-L-E-V-S.com. And at the top of his website, one of the tabs is called Dad Facts. Facts, that's a hard word for me to say, F-A-C-T-S. And on here, he has a giant list of myths, fatherhood myths. There's a myth that most stay-at-home dads don't want to be. A myth that America's dads get more leisure time than mom's. A myth that dads insist on doing the fun stuff like taking kids to the playground rather than doing household work. Those might be slightly controversial, so I suggest you go on his website and check them out. Anyway, this conversation was super enlightening, super fascinating, really lit me up. Uh, highly suggest Josh's book all in and, and taking in his work online. Grateful to him for being on the show, and I, uh, I feel a, a wonderful allyship and and glad to have his work featured here at Fatherhood Unlocked. All right, before we get to the conversation with Josh, very briefly, I want to highlight uh, really what has been constructed over the last six months. And that is underneath this podcast, uh, we're building a community and it's becoming a we. It was an I and now it's definitely becoming a we. We're building a community and educational platform for fatherhood. Father's Fire is our ongoing men's group for dads. It's a digital men's group. We have men from all over the country in North America right now, maybe expanding to Europe and Australia soon. We have Fatherhood Ready, which is a boot camp, a deep dive, high touch, in-depth preparation course for fatherhood. So this one's for those about to become dads and those who just became dads for the first time. And then I have a fatherhood unlocked facilitator training to teach men to be leaders in both of these programs and in your family and in your community. And our first cohort of the facilitator training is starting in mid-September. 
You can find all of this on dandoty.com fairly soon. We're going to be launching fatherhoodunlock.com. So it's coming uh, right now. It's still hosted on my personal website. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and listening to this show. Um, grateful to be able to do this with my time. It's uh, deeply fulfilling and I hope it means something for others. So here is the conversation with Josh Levs. All right, Josh, it is uh, seriously a pleasure to be here with you. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking your time to, to talk to me today. Oh, my pleasure. Look, talking about these issues and fatherhood in general is so important. I'm always happy to do it. Wonderful. Uh, we're not. I don't have any thoughts that we're going to have an issue coming up with what to talk about. Let me just lay out a like just a like a base level of where I'm coming into this conversation. Then let's just let it rip and 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 go mm-hmm. where it goes. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, before we hit record here, I am uh, my professional life right now uh, consists of two main priorities. One is is I'm building this podcast and this brand, a community of dads who are uh, really taking on. Uh, really turning toward the whole job of of what it takes to be a dad today. And the rest of my job is working as a consultant and a coach for, you know, leaders and founders of of growing companies, right? So, and, you know, right in the middle of that, I guess maybe in the 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 whole circle around that is I'm a father of three myself. I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a one-year-old. And, you know, coming, being introduced to you and your work, I mean, it was just like, it literally felt like hitting the jackpot, right? So this this is literally things I talk about, I think about, I wrestle with literally in every part of my life as I'm working with fathers to, to not only work with their internal state, but also get their shit together and balance work and life as I work with CEOs who are leading and you know, setting conditions and and culture for for parental leave and for parents to thrive, and then I, I'm doing it myself, right? I got you know, I mean, I, maybe my kids won't come in while we speak for the next you know 60 minutes, and maybe they will. Uh, so, like maybe see that. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah. So here's my first question for you. My real first question for you is yourself as a dad. Give give us a snapshot of you as a dad as an intro. Sure. So you know, uh, when you become a parent, uh, it's gotta be number one to you. Um, and, uh, and just in the sense that it's, you know, the way you raise your kids is, is just the most important thing you'll leave in your life. Um, so I have three kids also, we're a little bit ahead of you. So yours are spread out six years total, mine are spread out seven years total. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are now 16, 13 and nine. Uh, and you know, I was in this unusual situation because when my first was born, I started on the air on CNN like uh, two months later, not even, maybe two months later. Um, And I organized my career so that I wouldn't have to travel uh, because being home was really important to me. Um, But as I was doing this work on CNN as a fact checker and all this stuff, um, I also started to do segments on the air about fatherhood. And I got more responses to those than I did to almost anything else. And that was what showed me that people did not understand the reality of fathers, that there are these huge myths. So I took my fact-checking lens and put it onto modern fatherhood. 
And the responses I got were huge to those. Um, And then on top of that, there was this big switcheroo when I ended up being the dad in the news because I had a legal battle for parental leave. So all of a sudden people were reporting about me. Um, So my experiences with fatherhood have been both, you know, totally private. Like I don't even use my kids' names in public and very public in the sense that I had that battle. That's incredible. Um, yeah, and give us give us just the the quick uh, professional CV leading up to that. Uh, I don't know, just to have that context, I guess, is helpful. Sure. Yeah. So um, I started my career on NPR. So I was on NPR for ten years, um, and uh, then I wanted to move into television. Um, Ironically, partly because I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand how people get on the air and lie live on TV news. And so I wanted to work my way into TV news and do something about it. I was based in Atlanta for living in Atlanta for NPR. So I went over to CNN headquarters, started working there, uh, was doing all this work in the newsroom uh, and then went on air as well and was also doing all this stuff online. Uh, And then the audiences started to really leave TV and move online. And I did more online from there. Um, But, you know, I've been across all platforms for all these years anyway. And then my book came out in 2015, opened up all these opportunities to me. um, And that led to, oh, I should say the book is about fatherhood, about my battle for parental leave and about fatherhood and reality checking it in general and how it's necessary to achieve gender equality. We have to reset our understandings with the truth about that. Um, We'll never have gender equality in the workplace until we understand the reality of men as caregivers. Anyway, that came out in 2015, opened up all these new opportunities to me. I left CNN, created my own business, and that's what I'm doing now. All right. Well, perfect. Let's I'll just hit right on the right on the the nose of that. The the truth of dads as caregivers, the the myths around fatherhood. You know, I mean, one of the things I I probably say every episode that I record is, you know, obviously our culture is changing very rapidly, right? We are we are in a time of incredible change. And, you know, I, as I focus on fatherhood, and I nerd out about it, you know, in terms of just looking at the shift in that role, and and that's partly why I'm so excited to, uh, to learn more from you today is that, mm-hmm. like, what a wild change, man, from my dad, you know, having me in the 80s, the early 80s, and what sort of like the, the general snapshot of a father, the responsibilities, the role at that moment to right now, as I'm having kids, just like, fucking mind bending, excuse my French, mm. right? It's like, it's a big shift, right? And so, yeah, t- t- tell us, tell me, about, I probably don't know. What, tell us about the truth yeah. of dads. T- tell us some of the myths well, that are. It's interesting you say early 80s because so it's been four decades from the early 80s to now. It was only three decades from the 50s to the 80s. And it went through changes in that too. But it's gone through even more since then. So, um, you know, a lot of what I do is, is, I look at the reality. So let me just tell you some realities. Uh, there is this pop culture idea that men are incapable or buffoons, that we're lazy, that we're less interested. Um, and what, what almost no one knows is that all those ideas, like dads, the idea that dads won't change diapers or can't handle changing diapers, all these ideas come from a sexism that was especially designed against women. All these anti-dad stereotypes are not only against men, they're specifically against women. They come from, they're the flip side of the coin. The idea was a woman wants to be in the workplace, ha, ha, ha. A woman wants to be CEO or president or scientist, ha, 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 how could she? A man wants to be home, a man wants to be caring for his kids, ha, 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 how could he? 
that's where it comes from. It is a lie and it was never based in science and it never made sense. We are not less capable of caregiving. Men and women are equally capable of caregiving. The only thing we cannot do is breastfeed. Everything else we can do equally. Okay, <laughs> so that's the, the ability. But in terms of what we're doing, men are working just as hard as women. Dads are working as hard as moms. But the systems that we're up against were literally factually designed in the 1950s. They were designed in the Mad Men era. And I, I, we can break this down, but I talk about laws, policies, and stigmas. Basically, the way work designed, men are pushed to stay at work more and do more work. Women are pushed to stay home more and do more at home. And we are all, my book is called All In because the secret is that the overwhelming majority of all of us, dads, moms, and people who don't identify with either gender, uh, want that to change, want families to be able to make our own choices. So we're putting in equal hours on behalf of our families, but dads are being pushed to do more of that work. Moms are being pushed to do more of that at home. And in order to solve that, we have to work together on both parts of it, um, fixing not just the opportunities for women in the workplace, but the opportunities for men to be equal caregivers. That's where my legal action came in. And that's the half of this that gets no attention or well, relatively little attention. Yeah. I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts and, and I've heard the story, but, I, but I'd love to have you share it here too about your legal mm -hmm. action and, and that, because it's, it's really uh, sharply elucidates what's going on here. Yeah, sure. Hmm. So, uh, so when my wife was pregnant with our third child, um, we looked at what was going on in our life and um, we realized that I would be needed at home for caregiving after our third child was born. We had two boys and this was going to be our girl. Anyway, things were different. I would be needed at home. Now, at that point, I was already doing reports on the air and online about the fact that men are caregivers. Like, everyone knows this. However, the policies I was up against at CNN, which was part of Time Warner, were at once crazy and sadly typical. So mm -hmm. the way the policies worked, anyone could get 10 paid weeks after having a kid, except a biological father. Anybody could get 10 paid weeks, except a guy who had his baby the old fashioned way. So I found out the protocol to request a change in the system. I'm totally behind the scenes, requested the change, said, hey, I'll need the same care. I said, there's no way you meant for this to be the case when you were adding all these people who could have it. And I assumed they'd do the right thing. Could you, um, list, so could you could you could you list so is that like adoptive fathers or grandfathers? Adoptive or like fathers. Not only that, it was even beyond that. Like if you had a um let, let's say I had a same-sex domestic partner, okay? Mm -hmm. And he adopted a baby, and I did not adopt a baby, so I'm not even the parent, okay? I could still get 10 paid weeks to take care of my partner's baby. What I could not get is 10 paid weeks in real life, the actual me, to Kate, take care of my baby born to my wife. That's and just weird. It, it <laughs> That's sounds just weird. crazy, but yeah. it's, it's wildly common. And it's based in this concept that in a traditional nuclear family, the guy wouldn't be the caregiver, the mom would. Yeah. Um, it's just what people assume. And uh, so I went to them and I said, hey, there's no way you meant for it to be this way. They said, oh, that's interesting. Put it in writing and make the request. So I did. And then months went by with no answer. And I was told that it went all the way to the top of what was then Time Warner and that all the units were weighing in. So anything that was part of Time Warner, like Warner Brothers Pictures, HBO, all that stuff. Um, apparently, they all had to have an opinion about this, which is just so ridiculous. 
And then my daughter was born prematurely in an emergency. My wife had very scary symptoms from preeclampsia. She wasn't that premature, fortunately. Like we were, it was, it was far enough on our daughter was safe. Um, but you know, my wife had major symptoms. Anyway, I messaged work from the hospital. Uh, am I going to get the 10 paid weeks or no? Um, cause a guy like me could only get two weeks. And, uh, then two weeks later, I'm home holding my four pound preemie caring for my sick and recovering wife. Cause after preeclampsia, you have to recover for a long time. It's awful and caring for my boys. And I said, am I going back to work now or do I get the 10 paid weeks? And that's when they said, no, I could not have the the benefit. And uh, I challenged it to the CEO. He didn't change it. So I learned election. Knowing that it wouldn't change for me, I had to go back to work, but that it would change for other dads. And as soon as I announced this online that I was doing this, all the support came in from across the industry, across the political spectrum, people on the right and left, mom groups, dad groups, mom blogs, dad blogs, people around the world, people across the socioeconomic spectrum. So I became fascinated that my family's little case was suddenly, I mean, front page of the New York Times and front page of the New York Times business section, they're talking about me on the Today Show. So I became interested. What is it that's making people so interested in my case? And that's when I got the book deal with Harper Collins and went off exploring why so many people were galvanized by this case. And I came to understand that men as equal caregivers, that is a fundamental issue in achieving gender equality in America. If men cannot take care of our kids, women cannot have equal opportunities in the workplace. It really is that simple. Goddamn. Yeah, it really is that simple. Uh, I want I'll to tell say, you, in the long run, they did change their policy. Like in the very long run, they changed their policy. They did, and that's great. So ultimately, like they made it much better. It was a win-win across the company uh, wow. when they revolutionized their policy. And I think that was about a year later. So there was there was really good news there. Yeah, you know, I've both read and shared so many statistics on what happens when a when a dad can be home, and and you know, especially at that at that first, you know, during uh, postpartum and after the birth and things like that. But I wanted to share a quick personal anecdote, which I'm just insanely grateful for. Which is, uh, in my late twenties, I was in media for a while. I did, lived in New York. I made a TV show called Meat Eater, which is like a hunting and travel food show. Um, and the, the the host of the show was a, an author named Stephen Ranella. And he, I don't know, in the midst of one of our adventures, wherever we were doing, he, when I first met him, he had his first kid. And then I, this conversation probably happened, happened two years later. But it, I, I don't even remember why he said it, but he's like, listen, man, the best thing I ever did in my whole life, uh, somebody sat me down and so a mentor, some older dude sat him down and said, listen, when you have your first kid, take off literally as much time as you can. And, and, and he like, like made it very forceful. He's like six months, like a year, three months, like whatever you can do. He's like, this may not make sense to your brain, but just do it. And I promise you, it will be the most important thing in yours to yourself that you've ever done. And so he gave me that, that gift. And, and then when I had my first kid, I, it, I kind of lucked out. I mean, in a strange way, I got fired from kind of that job, like after I had my first kid. But anyway, well, I had the conditions. I had the they conditions. They fired you as a new father? They did. They did. Oh, yeah. Oh. But it was a gift, right? I mean, I can tell you the long story, but for, for a couple of reasons, it ended up being a gift. One, one was that um, I had... I really had four to five months of, you know, I had some duties, I was doing some things, but I really just got to be home. And it was, it was absolutely magical. And, you know, there was a gift there too. There was, it was better to me for me to move on anyway, but I I just wanted to share that as like kind of lucked into some really good advice, you know, and I attempt to give that advice 
everywhere I go. But yeah, I mean, I think it's worth spending a few minutes on highlighting the importance and and why it's actually important, right? Because I think I think it is. I mean, you know better than I do. My sense is this message is beginning to to be shared more widely. More people are getting it, but it's probably still a drop in the bucket. I, I don't know. And it's critical. Yeah. Well, let me say, um, first of all, to any skeptical listeners, the, the way to solve this is actually not to force businesses to pay people while they're off. What I push for is paid family leave as a public insurance policy, which is proven to work, keep people in the workforce, lift profits, helps businesses. It, it, everyone comes out ahead. So we can talk about that more later. Um, but what I want to take a second to say, you should not have to lose your job to have that time. And it reminds me of maybe the most pathetic example I heard. This one guy was interviewing me, told me that um, when his kid was born, he got the flu and had to be home and he was glad because he could be home to have the flu, but he couldn't be home to like see his new baby. And it's just, it's so, it's so messed up. Um, Okay. So you're talking about what the benefits are. There is longitudinal research across blocks of 18 years that show that if a dad can be home for a substantial amount of time, in the early weeks, uh, things change for the kids' whole life. First, they the parents establish more um, quality in how they handle things at home, and a lot of that has to do with confidence. When you're not there in the early months, you become less confident about how to do certain things. Um, and when you are there in the early months, you're doing things just as much, you learn them, and you learn them your way. Uh, there also are mentalities that we can fall into, and those early weeks help get rid of those mentalities. There is some, what some guys could fall into, male privilege, with this thinking that, like, well, changing the diapers is more your thing. Um, and, you know, we might not even do that consciously. We might have seen so many examples our whole lives of women being so, you know, uh, but just as problematic as female gatekeeping, in which women think, no, you're doing it wrong. No, you're going to break the baby. Give me the baby. You're not doing it right. Go. And some of that is probably natural protectiveness, especially the women who gave birth to those babies. They've been protecting them inside their bodies all that time. I remember having to say to my wife, like, okay, if everything, like, but now the baby's out and we can both take care of her, you know? So um, the early months when you're there, usually change that dynamic. You get equal confidence, equal involvement. And there's then that carries on throughout the kid's whole life. Um, and just having more time with dad ends up showing when it's an option, when it ends up showing that it benefits them academically in terms of their mental health and physical health. And I know not everyone has a father. I mean, look, our last two uh, before now, Democratic presidents grew up without dads and obviously lived good lives and successful. So I'm not saying you can't succeed without a father. I am saying that the science makes clear that yeah. when there's a dad, uh, having time with him has very long-term benefits. And I think that's something most people just know intuitively yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. One of the, one of the offerings that, that we run is called fatherhood ready. It's basically a 10 week boot camp for men about to be dads or, you know, men basically in that, the nine months before or after their first child. And, uh, you know, I think when I first started that program, um, what do, what do I want to say? I just want to say, like, I like I'm I'm collecting, you know, data here that seems to be beginning to inform some very serious pillars to that, right? I think maybe the first time I ran that program, I mean, hey guys, like you should really, really consider like taking as much time as you want. But the longer I go here, I'm like, let's fucking figure it out, right? Like how you know, how are you gonna how are you gonna stretch that time? So um I love the 
again, I just love the clarity with which you speak about the gender, uh, the gender equality and, and how the, I mean, it, it, when you say that, it's almost like this visual, it's like, obviously, right. Let's, 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 you make it easier here. It makes it over. It's just, it, it, um, do you have a, is there a North star or is there a vision of like where this could go when it's balanced? Are there other places that do this? I'm cu- mm-hmm. I'm curious what you see as yeah. possible. Yeah. Interrupting just for a minute to tell you about intentional fathering. This is an online audio course that I have created and you can find a dandoty.com slash intentional fathering. It is an audio course that is delivered just like a podcast. So you would actually show up right next to this podcast in whatever place you listen to podcasts. And it is a deep dive offering of meditations, contemplations, inner challenges, journaling exercises, and perspective and storytelling to just give a framework for how you might consider, how you might lean in, how you might work toward being a more intentional dad, a more intentional man. And it's an easy way to start with this process uh, in the comfort of your own vehicle or home or wherever you are. So check it out, dandoti.com slash intentional fathering. Yeah, what I want is for us to tackle the, the three things, the laws of policies and stigmas so that people have equal choice. Now, in the end, if people have equal choices um, and families get to decide for themselves, will we find that women on average choose to spend a little bit more time at home than men do Like, you know, if everything else is equal? We don't know. Um, but the North Star for me is to remove all of the obstacles that prevent people from being able to make those choices. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, there's more and more at-home dads who are, and so the, the more that, we, so for me, the North Star is an era in which people have those options. Um, there are some places doing better. There are several countries in Northern Europe that took a really interesting approach to this. Um, and that's when they have specific daddy time. So the way it works in most of the world, um, when you have parental leave, either parent can take it. And the combination of financial pressures, men usually make more money, and um, that's something else we could talk about, and societal pressures with expectations for women um, do often lead for, to women using more of the available time than men do. These countries in Northern Europe, what they did was they created a substantial block of time, a few months, that's take it or leave it time that only dads can use. And what that did was it reversed the stigmas. It made it so that instead of pushing guys to stay at work, guys look like idiots if they turn it down. Because who's going to turn down three paid months to be home that your wife cannot use? So when they did that, they created a societal shift. And these kids grew up seeing dads as equal caregivers. And I'll tell you, I've, so I've done a lot of global events. I did one, a series of events at Oxford. I did a debate in Oxford Union, and then I spoke with the, the business school. And I asked the, the young people in the business school, all in their 20s, uh, I said, who here used to babysit? And they all raised their hands. And this is probably a class of like nah, 50, 60 people. And they're all from different countries. And then I said, who here used to babysit for babies? Because this idea is still very prevalent in the world that only girls can take care of babies. Now, only, girl, only the women raised their hands, except one guy. One guy raised his hand. And I said, oh, you used to babysit for babies? And he shrugged. He said, yeah, I'm from Norway. You see, when you have a system in which you see men caring for babies from early on, there's nothing gendered against it. So because he grew up in that, it was perfectly natural to him. So when you overcome the stigmas 
and people see dads and moms working and caring for kids, it's so normal to them that they're more likely to live it out in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I, in my late twenties, I lived in Brooklyn and I, uh, I, you know, I, I intuited or I knew that I wanted to be a father, you know, I wasn't married, I wasn't on that track, but I knew it was something that was important to me. And I realized I had a moment, I realized I, I had never, I don't think I'd ever held a baby, like, like never had a baby in my arms. And so one of my friends who I had taught with at a school in the Bronx, um, had, had a, had a young kid. And I'm like, I don't know, we, you know, it was partially kismet, but it was also design. I'm like, we should, should get a house together. Right. We should. And we did, we got this big, beautiful house in prospect park and, um, or park slope, I guess. Right. And, and they had a baby in our house, right. They had their second baby, a home birth, like in our home. And it was just this, it was such a crash course, right. It was such, it was such like a mind bedding experience to both live with a toddler and then have this infant for about a year. Right. We lived together. We had a lease for a year. So it wasn't like a long, super long-term thing, but you know, that was my sort of caveman way to be like, hold on, you know, like there's something, something seems a little awry here. Like, how am I going to be a dad if I've literally, like I have no freaking experience whatsoever. Um, Oh, that's, I didn't either. I I didn't hold a baby until I was in my late twenties. I mean, the woman, were we even married? The woman who's now my wife when we were dating, but we might've been married already. I think we were married already. We went to her friend's house and she was like, you should hold the baby. And I was like, I've never done this. I'm too scared. I was sitting on the sofa and they gave her to me and I was really freaked out. Um, yeah, we have no experience and no one ever thought to teach us that or to have us have that experience. Um, and I do want that to be different, you know, for my kids, you know, having them spend time with their little cousins who are babies has been a really good thing. Do you have any idea if the culture in Norway or those other countries, did they make a shift at some point? Do you have any sense of the longevity of, of that tradition? Is, was, is, and I'm also curious, just curious about like our situation, right? I mean, like, I feel like, you know, we look back in our past and we say, oh, the traditional way, you know, 1950s, was that traditional? Was 1920s? Tra- you know, like, I'm just curious. Do you have any sense of the longer history of this? Yes. So this is part of what I've looked into. Um, the the modern concept of what work looks like and what home looks like really was drilled into the, the American mentality in the 1950s. Now, you okay. can find tons of sexism in other ways. I mean, women couldn't vote, like going way back. That's not a question. But yeah. this idea of what work and home looked like were drilled in the 50s in an era in which I mean, you know what happened. All these men have been sent off to World War II. Women went to work. Um, and there was an active effort to get people to come home and have lots of babies. And I always say it, we were pushing an idea of work-life balance. But the balance was the man does all the work and the woman does all the home, uh, all the life stuff. So that idea as some kind of ideal, especially for white middle-class families, was drilled in then. And it cemented to the point that um, it became normalized. Even the idea of what work looks like. That work is a place that you go in the morning and then ends at five o'clock and that's when you come home. Uh, you know, working nine to five. I mean, all, that, the idea that that's even how work is was also cemented in that new era. And the explosion in the way society has has changed, though the ways that work changed, the way that work and life balance have changed, um, gives us a chance to end that gendered-based idea and to shift it 
to a new era in which I say we should stop thinking of work as a place that we go, and we should start thinking of work as a thing that we achieve. And, you know, there's a long way to go in helping workplaces understand this. Bosses still have a tendency to think that the person sitting at his desk the most uh, is the most productive and the most successful. And that comes from this whole idea. And yet, when, when I work with businesses to have them judge how much people get done, they often find that it's not the people sitting at their desk the most. And sometimes it's the parents who are so good at multitasking. So anyway, so yes, the, the current idea that led to our laws and policies and stigmas is comes from the 1950s specifically. And it's been really hard to wrench out of our national psyche. Yeah. And that was driven fundamentally by economic and industrial reasons for the most part, or and it just that like how or... And societal, and societal. I mean, and yeah, there was, an, there was an effort to push women who had gotten all these jobs in the World War II, now leave, give them to the men, and have tons and tons of babies. Boom, baby, boom. Uh, you know, yes. the baby boom. It, it, that was a part of the social engineering that was that was going on. Um, and, you know, obviously not for everyone. Uh, and there have been families in this country, especially families of color, that could never afford to only have one working parent anyway. And, you know, there are yeah. families that have always had to take on lots of jobs uh, to pay the bills. But uh, yeah, that that idea as being some sort of new ideal uh, was, uh, yeah, was pushed for reasons. And no matter what anyone thinks of those reasons, that time has passed. Yep. Yep. Obviously. Um, you know, so like I mentioned, I spend my, a lot of my working hours literally peering through the lens of, of, of a dad. And then the other lens of my work peering through the lens of, of, uh, you know, business leaders, business owners fundamentally. Right. So I, 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 and I think my sort of unique specialty has become working with those that cross over. Right. I work with a lot of executives that are dads at different stages of the way. And the, I guess the first snapshot I want to put on the table is curious to get your perspective on this, where, uh, so many, dads with like the greatest intentions, like really good intentions, really, really putting their effort into the caregiving, really putting their effort into the work. You know, there is this meme or this idea that, uh, you know, with, with our very isolated, you know, little bubbles we live in, you know, the, the, the kind of loss of the village, there's this idea out there where we're kind of fighting an unwinnable battle in general, Right. Like we just kind of two people can't do the job. And I'll just be totally honest, man. It feels that way for me. Like, God damn, we are, we are like, we're putting it in and we're like, we're doing okay, you know, but it feels kind of impossible. And we still have little ones. Right. So I'm, I'm aware of that too. But I don't know. I, I, I'm also, I always wonder is, is this new or has it, I asked my mom this. Right. I'm like, did, did you feel like completely overwhelmed when you had kids? And she's like, not really, you know. What do you think? Well, our expectations have gotten too high sometimes. Yeah, not sometimes, very often. You know, there's this idea, especially the way that people present parenting on Instagram or whatever, um, you know, as some sort of there's a way to do everything perfectly and you got to do it this way. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of helicoptering in which we want to be hyper involved in all of our kids, you know, our kids, everything. And as you probably had, I know I did. 
uh, it was just normal for a bunch of kids to like go out after school and run around in the woods and run around the streets. And no one was worrying about what was going on with us as long as we were home for dinner. Um, so some of this is pressure that we put on ourselves. I will tell you that I work with a lot of dads who feel the way you do. And it's something I had to learn and I help other dads learn this, that, that we have to, um, uh, forgive ourselves for, you know, things that we do that we think are imperfect. And if you're leading with love and making your best decisions and listening and considering and always putting love first, then you're doing so well that, that when your kids look back on your parenthood, they're going to know, they're going to know how great you were. Uh, you know, this time when like my kids get annoyed with me, I'm so cringy. I'm so whatever, but like, I'm just so not worried about that anymore. I mean, that to me is just white noise when they're like that, because <laughs> I told my oldest that like him telling me I'm wrong about something is literally my new white noise. I don't hear it. It's just better. <laughs> and so like, I just learned to accept that stuff and forgive myself and think, am I leading with love? Am I listening? Am I trying to figure out what they need? Okay. So no matter how many mistakes I make or what I get wrong, at least I'm doing it from the best of intentions. And that really is what matters the most. Yeah, Absolutely. So on but the usually younger than mine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I have a general thought that you know, until my youngest is God, I don't know, you know, four, five, six, something. Like we're just in it, you know, we're just sort of in it. I I mm-hmm. can surrender to that. Um, yeah. So so now, kind of jump into the other side of the fence now, right? And i i have a I have a client right now, which I'll obviously keep confidential. In, uh, in his late 60s, owner of this really wonderful company doing these wonderful things and has, uh, I think, two young men, younger men, they're not young, but they're younger men who are having their having children and are, um, you know, uh, requesting what, especially in, so this is on the West Coast, especially in that, in that climate, like a normal, what's becoming normal of three months off, right? Mm-hmm. And but it's been interesting for me because I can see both sides. Like, like, should these guys have their leave? Like, of course, obviously. But then I get in the mindset of, of you know, of a of an older generation that's that has this understanding what the business needs, what it's taking. You know, somewhat maybe caught up in a caught up in the flow of everything, and there's a sense of panic. It's like, oh my god, like, like, how does this work? Um, I guess what I'm getting to here, messily, is. <clears throat> Like work-life balance from the from the employers from the business perspective, I've I've heard you talk about this. I've read your words on this, and you know the sense of a win-win of what's possible here from a business perspective. I just I want to give you some runway to talk about that because I think it's critical. Yeah. So when you know I do a lot of uh, speeches, events, consulting for businesses. And I usually start off with numbers and I show them that having, um, I say 20% policy, 80% culture, having a policy in which um, there's equal caregiving available to men and women. First of all, you have to legally. um, And we can talk about that. But having that policy and then a culture in which people feel free to actually use it uh, is proven over and over and over again to raise your profits. And there are all kinds of reasons that this happens. Um, But the simplest one to explain here is that places don't realize this, but men, there was this EY survey uh, that found that men in the United States leave their jobs even more than women do to have more time with their families. They're also more likely to move to a different state or move to a different industry 
uh, or take a pay cut uh, to take a new job, all these things in order to have more time with our families. Replacing an employee is super expensive. It can cost up to 200% of annual salary just to replace an employee. When you have a culture that allows people, whatever amount of time it is, two months, three months, off to do caregiving and then come back, you are saving so much money because you're not having to go replace them and find someone else. Um, so in the end, it's just a huge boon, and that's proven for small and large businesses. Now, um, a lot of places, uh, a lot of states now have paid family leave plans, and we need this on a national level. And you said West Coast. Is this in California, can you say? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. California had the nation's first system. And the way it works, it does not require business to pay salary while the person's off. Instead, there's this tiny payroll deduction that takes a little bit of money out of your paycheck, and that goes into a fund. And when anyone needs it for caregiving, for um, paid family medical leave, then they get pay out of that fund. So what happens is everyone at some point can use it because everyone will take care of a child or a sick spouse or an elderly parent or recover themselves after an illness. It's Paid family and medical leave, that's the full name. Um, they're paid out of the fund, so the business, while they're off, is not to pay them their salary. So the business can take that money and pay someone else to come in temporarily. They can take it and pay overtime to existing employees. What a lot of businesses do is just save that money altogether and just have uh, find a way to get by during that time. Um, and then the person comes back because they were supported. And if you don't support them, then they leave and you have tons of expenses to try to find someone to replace them. Um, and the good news is when it comes to caregiving leave for a new child, that is the single most planable leave that there is. Anyone can, you know, heaven forbid, get hit by a bus or get diagnosed with cancer. Like you can lose any employee at any day. People can be off for bereavement. They can have emergencies. Businesses need as a core function to plan who does what when any person is out. You know, one of the things you need to do in your strategy in general is know, uh, okay, who's the backup person for every individual at your company? Like who, who handles their work and have managers at each level figure that out. Um, and when someone is uh, going to have a baby, the culture should be welcoming and supportive enough that they can turn to their boss and say, okay, I'm having this baby, uh, or my wife is having a baby, my partner's having a baby, or if it's adoption, you might be, you might say, okay, we don't know what day it will be, but it will happen. And when that happens, I'll want to be home. And that's when you plan it out and you say, okay, so whenever the time is, uh, will you want to take all your 12 weeks or 10 weeks, whatever at once, will you want to break them up? How do you want to do it? And then talk that out. And plan it. So you, as soon as it happens, boom, you can you can push that into action. So I understand that this boss you're referring to didn't plan it. And that's because no one thinks of this. <laughs> no one plans yeah. for it, but everyone should. Yeah, I know. I get it. I, I understand having it written somewhere, but actually the culture of employing it, using it, valuing it, speaking about it, socializing. Yeah, yeah that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm curious about, you know, the leave stuff to me is really cut and dry and obvious from both sides, right? Dad side, business side makes sense. What do you do? Well, I'm curious your thoughts on optimizing the post leave, right? So like when a dad comes, especially dad, especially kid number one, right? Like, it's like a different dude in a lot of ways, right? Like it's a huge change, huge responsibility shift. I'm curious what you see, what you, what you see in that period. I'm really big on flexibility. 
Um, I've been pushing for work from home since before the pandemic. Uh, there's a lot of noise about it these days and a lot of people expressing opinions. But when you tune out the noise, remember my background is fact-checking, politicians, pundits, business people. When you tune out the noise and look at the facts, it's unquestionable. Employees can be at least as productive when they work from home. Uh, so the myth that they have to be in the office every day is just an old way of thinking about what work is. Um, so I support all kinds of flexibility. So there are families in which both parents go back to work, but they work three days a week. And so they're off two different days. Um, there are ways in which um, people are just given flexibility to get their work done at whatever hours work best for them. Uh, that is number one. And that's another place in which we see sexist stigmas come into play. There are men who have, or in my book, who have been fired or demoted or lost job opportunities for taking paternity leave or for seeking flexibility because the idea was they don't fit this old idea of, or this classic idea of what a great employee looks like. Um, and businesses have lost great people through that kind of bigotry. So in general, I'm a big fan of giving people uh, that kind of flexibility. And if you think about it, let's say someone's a great employee and they wanna to switch to a 60% schedule. You're better off keeping them with all their relationships, all their knowledge, all their skills, um, and supplementing with someone else or having someone else, you know, part time or whatever. They can do two people who do 60% each, so they overlap by a day. Anyway, the point is, you're better off in general making that flexibility happen than you are losing them. So when you have the right policies in place and you have a culture that supports that, people stick around. And they want to work for you, and it attracts and retains great employees. People are excited to work for you if you offer that flexibility. Not every place can do it. If you're a nurse with a shift, I get it. You know, not every job has that. But for jobs that do, it's mm -hmm. so important to give people that freedom. Yeah. I have two questions in my head. Which way do I want to go? <laughs> uh, this might be a throwaway question, but but I'm going to say it anyway. So you know, having coached and worked with so many dads at that transition point of becoming a father. It, it does seem to be the case. This might just be, I mean, I'm talking to a fact checker. So perfect. It seems to be the case that a lot of uh, work changes seem to happen around that time. I, I mean, for, 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 I mean, again, this is just like one tiny data point, but like I had my kid, I started the the company that was sort of like the big thing for me three months later. I've, I've had a lot of dads who I know some are chosen, right? Obviously like you can leave your job, things like that, but, but it, it just, is it just simply a disrupting moment? I mean, it seems to be a disrupting moment in a man's life. Is there any correlation between job performance, job role, I don't know, and becoming a dad? Um, not in the sense that you do worse. No, there's no, there's no, you don't, you're not, you don't become worse at your job. No. Uh, a lot of guys do go through changes because we have our priorities reset. Sure. Um, and you know, I will tell you a lot of guys become even more stuck on work because we are often the primary or sole providers. Uh, the number of men who are the primary sole providers is much, much bigger than some of the reports suggest. There's a lot of very misguided data that people can see on my website, joshlabs.com, click dad facts, and you'll see what the actual numbers are. And so I know what happened with me when I first became a dad, when my son was born, I suddenly cared about money more than ever because I was like, you know, only income. And I had, and my son had major heart surgery at birth. And I was like, I got to make sure I have 
you know, like uh, health, great health insurance forever. And someday he's going to be in college and all these things. Um, so some guys get even more, you know, committed yeah. to their jobs, but instead, so it might become more careers. Um, I will tell you that there's this myth about the, the dad bonus, um, that dads start making more money after they have kids. And what the numbers show is that if a dad puts even even more hours at work after he has a kid, which is sad, uh, that's because of the pressures, then yes, he ends up getting a bonus. But as soon as a dad shows that he is committed to his family and wants flexibility, that bonus is gone. So yeah, a lot of dads, especially these days, are taking stock and thinking, wait a second, I want to have more time with my kids. So they make a career change because they live in an era that should give them the freedom to spend more time with the family. Yeah. Thank you for naming that. That just really, that was actually pretty impactful for me just in my own life. Right. So like what I noticed was, so, so, you know, being more focused on money once kids came was, man, did that surprise me? Was I, you know, I was pretty naive, pretty okay. Really didn't put the requisite thought into finances before I became a fun. That's on me. Right. But it happened. Mm-hmm. And I had personal standards that I wasn't going to not be there. I wasn't going to not be involved and be a caretaker, right? So I just now, this is all coming together in my head right now. It's like clearer than it has been before. Is that like I I went from like pressure on myself here to Mm -hmm. holy crap, right? These both, both of these thrusts were fully engaged in. And that is, this is really helpful. It's putting language and clarity to, you know, what I lived through and also what I, I I do see this alive for a lot of dads right now. And it's, and they're getting their asses kicked. I, I got my ass kicked, mm-hmm. I, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I looked into um, research around this and there's different theories, you know, that, there, that, um, that there's a provider instinct that we have mm-hmm. that makes mm-hmm. us want to, and, and that's perfectly possible. Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of social reasons, you know, like, even people who think they're so advanced often don't realize the extent to which dads are men, boys are taught from very early age, make money, make money, be impressive. I mean, there's times that I even know when my kids were little when like we pass a house and, and my wife would be like, oh, you know, who lives in that house? Well, the dad's a plastic surgeon. Like, you know, and my boys are in the back and I'm like, oh, this is where it comes from. You know, when I asked her to marry me, I got down on my knee and I held the, uh, I, I held the ring, the diamond that I had purchased. So, so this idea really is drilled into our brains very early on, and um, extricating that is is a challenge. Um, and as a result, you say you're getting your ass kicked. What, what, in my book, I asked people to rate how stretched out they felt on a scale of one to ten, and almost all the dads said ten. A couple said eight. Um, and the reason is that we're getting it from all directions. And I have that. I have that. We want to do better than ever to give our kids financial future, strong financial futures for our whole family. And we want to have more time at home. And it's the impossibility of wanting to do both even more and always feeling like we're failing one or the other, uh, which, you know, is the same thing working moms are experienced. This is, yeah. this is why we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, this question has been popping up a little bit in my head is, you know, I, I love, uh, I love the myths and the dad facts. I, I love just like the lists of of information on your website. And I'm curious if there's any, you know, in the midst of rapidly changing norms and values and everything, I'm, I'm curious what you might see as sort of like, what are like permission or sorry, pernicious myths or like what's holding on? Like, what are some of these old school things that you see is like, 
man, that one's not shaking loose. I'm, I'm curious if you yeah. see anything of that nature. I'll tell you this. A lot of people I interviewed um, told me that they firmly believe, and they might be right, that the root, the strongest root of all this is pop culture. And, and that's starting to change. But so there is this myth that we grew up with that you can still see sometimes in ads that no. are trustworthy or that we're just like that men are just these sexist automatons who don't think like there was that um, razor ad a few years ago that was mildly controversial where it just showed all these dads doing nothing about these, when these boys were bullying and beating up on each other, like dads just yeah. nodding like, uh. um, and there is a belief. And, and since we see it throughout our lives, it penetrates into our minds and it does affect our thinking. And I can tell you that to this day, there are a lot of bosses who genuinely believe that if a guy says he wants paternity leave or flexible schedule, that he's going to go home, kick up his feet, open a beer, watch sports and let his wife do everything. They literally believe that, even though it's factually false and all the actual data demonstrates that that's not how it works. We are equal. We're putting an equal effort. When we're home, we're doing equal amounts. Um, you know, the actual amount of there's all these lies about dads having more leisure time. That's false. Uh, right. It's all equal. And because those ideas are so strong, the system stay in place. Um, you know, the reason that people judge us if we are doing that is that they actually believe that stuff, that it's not real, that we're not going to do as much. Um, so I think the biggest continuing pernicious myth is the idea that it's a hoax, the idea that dads aren't really doing as much. And then the flip side, well, not flip side, but a, an accompaniment to that is the myth that that kids actually need their moms and don't need their dads. There's a lot of people who sadly still believe that. And this is part of what I run into among some people who consider themselves quote unquote conservative. They, they don't realize that their fundamental belief is sexist. Like <laughs> they say, no, no, no. I think women should be home and men should be at work because by nature, women are better caregivers. And I think it's such a beautiful thing that they're so wonderful with babies that we should make sure that they can be a baby. We should stay at work because they should. And this is this is their sexist belief system. And so what I always say is, OK, you know what? Like, that's your belief about men and women. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. But the fact is the way our society should be developed, and our government and our policies, families should choose that for themselves. Let's just mm -hmm. give families the opportunity. And if that's how it's going to work out, because that's what they believe, great. But let's let everyone make their own choices instead of you forcing those choices onto anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've, dream I've dreamt a lot about what it would look like to take this sort of like focus in life of, of work with men and like I mentioned, I did make TV for a while and yeah, I, I could see a role of like consulting, like some consultant level, uh, you know, into yeah. media and, and to, to, to be a help in sort of flipping that script and, and the stereotypes mm -hmm. a little bit. So I had a question, but then even as I was just thinking about it, it kind of blew it up in my head. The question was going to be, I'm curious your take on, on, uh, oh, what's that? dipshit in england who, who who's the who's the uh manfluencer guy the toxic dude in england um shit i should have had his name written down somewhere anyway i can say it without remembering his name there's so there, many of them there's so many toxic influencers there seems to be the case that uh fairly negative minded uh voices are like get very widespread about masculinity and it yeah. seems to be the case that healthy masculine messages of healthy masculinity have a very small bubble which with they permeate through past right mm -hmm. i'm just 
fucking curious about that. But then I was thinking, well, Ted Lasso, right? Maybe one of the biggest TV shows in the world definitely kind mm-hmm. of blew, blew up that argument. But yeah. I, I'm curious what you think on, on, on that pop culture level, on that mass sort of meme level. I, I'm always just wondering, when's it going to break through? How does, how did this, it's just to me, obviously it seems so simple, right? Dad could just be home with the kids. Like it's just, it's, it's not anyway. I'm curious what you <laughs> yeah. think. Um, those sexist bros, whatever we're going to call them, those sexist guys, um, get big followings and get really loud. There are men who love what they say and there are women who love what they say. Um, but you know, our, our social media and the era of media we are in uh, blows up um, minority voices that say extreme things. Mm-hmm. And what really uh, shoots them down more than anything else I have found is the power of facts. So, you know, statistically, guys who believe that are an incredibly small percentage, tiny percentage, the overwhelming majority across all tons of surveys that are legitimate show that the overwhelming majority of men and women want equality in choices and recognize that men can and should be equal caregivers. Um, this is one survey I helped to do that found close to nine in 10 dads say they wish they had more time at home to care for their kids. Um, this is the reality. And what what shocks those guys when you say that, uh, that they are the exception, Th- that w- it takes away their central argument, like, well, I'm just being a guy. This is what guys are like. This is what we do. Um, actually, no, you're not. You're the shameful, extremely rare exception. I wrote a chapter called um, In Search of Neanderthals, where I went looking for guys who actually believe this stuff. And you can certainly find them, but a lot of them are these like, you know, clueless, hateful trolls online who don't have kids or aren't taking care of their kids or uh, aren't interested in really like achieving anything positive. When I talked at the United Nations, what I said was, I I said, the, the shocking thing for a lot of people is that I am the statistical norm. Like, sure, I I talk about fatherhood, but in my kids being number one to me, time with them being more important than anything else, believing for and standing for real equality for everyone, I am not an exception. I am proven to be over and over statistically the norm. And it's the same with you. We are statistically the norm, but you wouldn't know that from pop culture or from, you know, loud, yelling, stupid people on social media. Yeah, well said. That's really helpful. I guess the follow-up to that is, you know, a little, just a short background too. So um, seven years ago, right, I, I had my kid, my first kid, lost, lost my job, started this this business called Every Man. And so the, the, what that was, was literally um, just a message and then a community based around it saying that, uh, you know, repressing emotions as, is is just simply harmful and not helpful and vulnerability the building a skill set of vulnerability and communication as men does all this good shit and, and so you know and it, it blew up for a while right like i went on the today show in new york times and all of the things happened and it was this um yeah it was a moment of sort of receptivity in the in the in the larger media dialogue about speaking about men in a way that's you know i think maybe becoming more common but it still blows my mind that uh, how little is talked about fatherhood, right? And and it's it's maybe we just don't have the muscles yet. We don't have the reps. We don't. I don't know what it is, but it it is just we are. Yeah. 
Look, coming from mainstream media, I can tell you that um, it's a huge failing. I get things corrected in mainstream media all the time where I see bad numbers and I contact them and I say, hey, like most places will let me write response pieces. So I write tons of op-eds that people can see at my website. Um, and sometimes they just run corrections, um, but also their entire missing narratives. You know, in the first year of the pandemic, there were huge narratives around how hard it was for moms. And the New York Times had this big project, like moms need a primal scream. They're so stressed. Um, and it was stressful for moms. Absolutely. Um, I looked around and literally no one reported on dads. I don't mean like almost no one, zero people. And I contacted the uh, American Psychological Association, which I've I had some interactions with. And I asked them to piece through their data for me and run the um, cross-section between the checking out stress levels by gender with kids at home. And that's when they came back to me and they said, oh, we just found that there's no statistical difference in the stress levels between moms and dads during the first year of the pandemic. And I wrote about that in Parents, um, but zero people had reported that or bothered to find out. We are not considered. And mm -hmm. that is part of the sexism. You know, the mistake that people make is they think, um, well, guys get so much attention. Let's focus on moms. But when you continuously associate parenthood and caregiving with moms, and maybe, if anything, one token dad, although in that set of reporting, not even, um, then what you are doing is tokenizing men and continuing the false idea that caregiving is for women. So you're actually giving into sexism against women by ignoring dads when talking about parenthood. And a lot of people in the mainstream media cannot wrap their minds around this. And this gets into other things as well, which I'll, you know, it gets into things like victim narratives and how we view society and all this stuff. But the idea that men are worth talking about, that we have challenges, that a lot of people instinctively reject that because patriarchy and men and blah, blah, blah. But in the real world, outside of the media, that's not what people do. And this actually, oh, I should tell you this, this affects the workplace. Can I explain mm -hmm. this? Yeah, this is please. so important. Okay, here's what I have found. Um, at work, guys don't share their struggles with uh, work-life balance and caregiving. When I announced my legal action, I got so many calls from men and from women to tell me about their husbands. Guys, I know, crying to me on the phone about what they went through. They never told anyone and they never brought it up at work. And it's not just that they're afraid they'll be judged based on the sexism. It's also that they are afraid that women will say to them, you man in a patriarchy, who are you to complain about work-life balance? You have everything as a man. Um, and what I tell them is that's not true. That's not what they'll say. Look what happened in my case. All of these women were so supportive. I mean, famous, like just whatever, all these people speaking out. So I say, don't be afraid. But I also, I did this talk for a, a TEDx women event and I said, it's crucial for women to show men that they are invited into these conversations. Turn to a man, talk to him about how to say, you know, I know you have kids, I'm struggling with this. How do you handle this? And guys suddenly feel welcome to talk about it and that way they get included. And so we do, as you're saying, we need to change the paradigm so that people think of men when we talk about parenthood. And Josh, you're you're either my hero or my new spirit animal. <laughs> I'm not sure which one, but <laughs> no, really, I mean it. I'm just I'm so grateful. I'm so glad we got put in touch. This is so um it's so grounding, the facts, the the statistics. It's just it's so deeply helpful. And uh yeah, I feel uh 
already said it. I feel grateful. Thank, thank you for being here. Is there anything, I don't know, anything else? I mean, we covered a bunch. I know there's like a million other things that yeah. could be said. Anything else in the line of what we said that you feel should be voiced? Um, no, like anybody's welcome to get in touch with me. You know, my website, joshlevs.com, J-O-S-H-L-E-V-S. Um, you'll find me there. And uh, no, look, I am so glad every time there's someone else who is part of this battle and who is using their platform to help move things forward. Thank you. Thank you for the show. Thank you for the work you do. And uh, let's keep up the good fight. All right, Josh. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you to everyone for being here and listening. Thank you to Josh for being a guest and do all the things. If you're enjoying this, you know, give us a review, share it around, uh, subscribe if you haven't yet and uh, stay tuned. This is, we're just getting this ball rolling. Take care.